I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to your Friday episode of Private Parts. Really, really excited for today's episode because we have Lauren Mann on the podcast. Now, Lauren is a breast cancer activist. She's a podcast host and charity founder her charity is called girls versus cancer now her story is amazing because at 31 years old she was diagnosed with breast cancer as you can imagine it was a horrific time six years later she is cancer free which is absolutely amazing because of her experience and lots of different things she launched a podcast which you may have heard of called you me and the big c in 2018 with her co-hosts rachel brand and deborah james now both have passed away um, due to cancer um, since the podcast, which is so upsetting. Now, today we talk about life after cancer. We talk about cancer diagnosis. We talk about what you can check. We talked about mental health. We talked about the NHS. So many things. It was really, really amazing. Um, Now, if you are struggling with cancer, we're going to leave lots of links and descriptions below where you can go and check out, including Girls Versus Cancer, which is Lauren Mann's charity, which is simply amazing. Just a couple of stats for you. In women, on average, there were 55,000 new cases each year. 18% of breast cancers were in women under the age of 50 and 82% in those are 50 or older. Now, in men, there were 375 new breast cancer cases. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in the UK, representing 15% of all new cancer cases. So please go and check yourself. If you haven't checked yourself, check yourself. Okay, we're going to begin the episode. Please remember also we're on social media, at Private Podcast, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do to this podcast because it helps so much. Okay, here we go. Enjoy the episode with Lauren Mann. 
Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited you, to be you, here. You have, which listeners probably can't see, you have Raymond, your dog, sitting with you. Yeah, he's uh, he's the best thing since sliced bread. I don't know where that saying came from. It's weird, isn't it? But yeah, he's the best thing ever. Where did that saying come from? I don't know. I don't know where. I mean, what's so hard about slicing bread? Why yeah, does it have to be pre-sliced? I, I heard this thing the other day. Sorry, this is a complete tangent just to begin with. Apparently, we got I got told this. Apparently, they people give you bread before a meal because when you eat the bread, your endorphins go up because you're being hit with sugar and things like that. So it makes you spend more money. What? What? Because I always thought I always eat too much bread. And yeah, I'm like, always. oh, I've ruined the meal. Actually, no. It's delicious. We're all on a bread high and spending all our money. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the case. <laughs> so, so you've had Raymond for how long? He has been with me just over a year. Yeah. I got, I rehomed him from a breeder um, when he was six months old because he used to be a show dog. He's a reject show dog. Really? He's got little bow legs and he's meant to be in the mini category and he's very much a medium. Oh no. But he's very distinguished. Look at him. Look at those eyebrows. Yeah. He's unbelievable. <laughs> is this your, is this your first dog that you've had? It's the first dog we've ever had as a family. How intense? It's Yeah, but because I got him when he was six months old, I didn't do any of the puppy stuff. I didn't do any of the weeds and poos in the house. I didn't get those little gnarly sharp teeth. Oh my God. I, I honestly truly believe that having a puppy is sometimes harder than having a baby. A hundred percent. Do you know what? My sister, that's why I love her for many reasons, but because she val validates me that way. She's got two kids yeah. and she's also like been in relationships where there's been dogs and she's like, no, they are literally six years old for their whole life. And you have to take care of a six-year-old their whole life. Because <laughs> also with dogs, it's just like, it's a, with a baby, I sometimes think, you just put them on your chest or whatever. Mm. So it's a bit harder. But with dogs, it's eating things, running around, freaking out. And also, mm -hmm. even though it feels like we, are, we can read each other's minds, they cannot talk to us. So kid gets to a certain point and it's like, mum, I want this or ow. He's just like moaning or like tapping me for something. And I don't know what it is. What time are you up in the morning with him? I get, he's good. He'll stay in bed as long as I do because he loves the sleeps. Are you serious? He loves the sleeps. Yeah, he, um, but we get up about seven. Really? Normally, yeah, straight out the door. Do you know, I, um, I said to you when, when I do these podcasts, producer who's, Liv, who's sitting here, sends some notes and things mm -hmm. like that. And the thing that I read at the top when I was looking through things, it says, I no longer see myself as a cancer recoverer. I see myself as Loza. Yeah, that's cute, isn't it? It's so cute, but I, it's, it's funny right, like this. I, I did a podcast yesterday, which was all about like how you want to be defined, mm. how you, do you think it's a good thing that we're defined or that people ask us if we want to be defined or can we just be anything that we want to be? I think, well, we're multifaceted creatures, human beings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also we change and evolve. Like I change my mind on things all the time. And I think we've got into this world as well with social media and that, where we have to be defined by a moment or a thing we've said or a belief. When I think it's so important to have debate and like go, actually, I never saw it that way. That's made me rethink things. Mm. I feel like we've completely lost that capacity. What I found hard is you get pigeonholed. It's so easy to be pigeonholed, especially in the media, because they look at you and go straight away, right, they'll be good for this or they'll be good for that. But you don't get to see the rounded human. Why do you think that happens? Why, we do get pigeonholed, 100%. Yeah, because it's just easy for the bookers. Look how much money they're getting paid. And they'll just go, you'll do. You've said that before. In you go. It's annoying. But at the same time, in a way, it's kind of been really good because I have been able to spread a message and get the word out on things that are important to me because I'm seen as cancer girl. So I've been a first choice for things, panels, podcasts, whatever. So I can get the message across. Mm. It's just obviously after doing it for seven years, you're kind of like... 
hi, I'm also called Loza and I have a dog and I sometimes date and that's quite weird in London. And like, I rent a lovely house and like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I love music and like love a glass of rosé and I've got love a fillet of fish. No one likes fillet of fish. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, yeah. I love a fillet of fish, but no one really talks about that. It's a very important subject. <laughs> okay, but then for the listeners now, if uh, if you had to give a sort of brief history of you and mm-hmm. what you've been through and what you're doing, how, what would you, how would you put that into as long as short as you wanted? An elevator an pitch. An elevator pitch. Okay, let me get an elevator pitch mode. All Born right. in Fulham. Yeah. <laughs> Born in Fulham to Tina and Gary Marne. In 1985, Lauren attended Langford Primary School. No, I won't do it that far back. You did say, just quickly, you said that um, you want to talk to me because of Made in Chelsea. Whenever you used to watch it, you used to see different benches. It's Made in Fulham. You lot are having us on. (laughs) It's really funny. I was actually Made in Chelsea. Okay, good no, for I you. I don't think I was. I was more made in like Kensington High Street. I yeah, think, so. I, yeah I'm, I'm literally made in Fulham. Probably was conceived in Fulham as well. I'll have to ask mum later. <laughs> but yeah, let, let me do elevator pitch okay, and then I'm going to come for you with okay, the Fulham go. stuff. Okay, elevator pitch is, I, Lauren, London born and raised, 31 years old, just moved out of my parents' house, partying, living life, loads of drugs, loads of dick, loads of drink, just like living the best life ever. And then it's true. The three Ds. The three Ds. Um, Yeah, and all of a sudden I had breast cancer. I found a lump by accident because I may have been having a wank and I grabbed my breast in the throes of ecstasy. Thank God for vibrators, otherwise I might be dead. That's what I'm saying. Self-love literally saved my life. Um... (laughs) It did, though. Um, So, yeah, I found out I had breast cancer. My whole world went tits up. I didn't know anyone else who had cancer young. I really struggled with all the information I was being given. It was really clinical, cold. I was being told things like, you know, do you want your eggs frozen? Do you want kids? I didn't know if I wanted kids at 31. I still don't know if I want kids. Mm. And it was all these things I didn't know about cancer. And I just thought, you know what? I'm really fed up with the way that this has been talked about. I have not seen anything relatable to me at all. Mm. So you've heard how I talk. I started talking about cancer like this. And then because of that, I, I spoke about it um, under the hashtag girl versus cancer, which then snowballed into a community, which is now a charity. Mm. And because of this gob of mine, I was found by Rachel Bland, who was BBC radio presenter. Mm. She approached me about a podcast along with Deborah James, which is now known as the legendary multi-award winning podcast, You, Me and the Big C. Mm. And it's done some amazing things in breaking down the dialogue around cancer. Amazing things. It's, it's, I'm very, very proud of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's in a nutshell where I've been, but now it's been seven years since diagnosis. I'm six years cancer free. And we've stepped back from the pod after the loss of Deb. And now it's all about, you know, working out what the charity needs to do next. We've just done a huge campaign around sex, intimacy and cancer, big taboo subject. Yeah. Explain, what do you, I have so many things I want to talk about. And so, but hang on, why is there a big taboo around? Because believe it or not, Jamie Lang, there is like 90% of those who are diagnosed with cancer aren't being sexually intimate post-diagnosis. Really? And that's three years or more. Yeah, and it's multifaceted because you you can imagine, right? First of all, you're going through this life-altering experience. When you're in chemo and radio or recovering from surgery, the last thing you're thinking about is getting your leg over. You're just trying to recover and relax. But you will go back to a a normal. Even if you live with cancer long term, you still have a life to live alongside cancer. Mm. And a big part of the human condition is intimacy. 
whether that be penetrative sex, whether that be touch, whether that be relationships, kissing, anything that kind of fuses you to another human is intimacy. But what we're finding in the cancer community is some people's like roots to pleasure have completely changed. So whether they've had like organs removed, a stoma bag, numbness because of scarring, mm. you know, some people in my community who have had bowel cancer and have had to have severe operations actually have the operation, what they call the Barbie butt, which is like from front to back, everything's removed. Oh. So you don't have anything there to kind of stimulate pleasure, but doesn't mean you can't have pleasure. Doesn't mean there's a little nipple play involved or mm. some like kissing action and mm. like just to be held by somebody. I think what has happened is because we are alive with, it's like we should be grateful and that they, we can live without sex because we're here. And actually that's bollocks. It's like someone breaking, like breaking your leg, right? Yeah. And you go to the doctor and go, oh, I broke, I broke my leg. I know I'm in recovery now, but I just can't get hard. And then going, well, you can walk. You'd be like, pardon? Same with cancer. Like people you, deserve to feel pleasure, but no one talks about cancer. You know what? It's sex. so funny. It, it, it's the, one of the things. Like uh, well, at least you don't have that. We I had a lovely person called Nikki Lilly who came on the podcast who has and she has a uh, a, a problem with her veins where mm. they basically it, they sort of become much bigger and it's affected her body in lots of different ways mm. and she said the one thing that i find really upsetting is people say to me well at least you don't have that she's like no just say it shit yeah say it shit Babe. just be just say it shit because that's better than you going well at least you can walk yeah. it's like i don't <sighs> babe the amount of times i got told i had the good cancer didn't feel like i had the good cancer when i was in chemotherapy darling are you serious yeah the good cancer because it's very treatable and I understand people's un reasonings for saying that because they're trying to make you feel better. I think we've got a terrible thing in society where someone tells you something bad's happened and we've got to fix it. When actually empathy is going, yeah, that is really shit. I'm sorry, man. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 amazing because I I totally get what you mean by being put into a box and saying you're the cancer girl or you and people being defined in life and that's just what happens you know i'm very much defined as being on main chelsea and that's it and you know poor matthew perry who's just died oh, bless him, i yeah. know right he just died he said i really just don't want to be remembered for just doing friends because i've done so much more than that yeah but th and that doesn't but actually there is something amazing what you're doing yeah and actually to to be defined for doing this amazing thing around mm. this big word cancer. Mm. I think that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I, babe, honestly, like I don't bash it at all. I really, really love the work that I do. And I think I'm really fucking good at it. Like for some yeah. reason, I've got a way of cutting through and relating to my community. I'm not for everybody, but who is? If you don't like me, go to Macmillan. Macmillan's over there. But do you know what I mean? If you want swearing and, and a bit of truth and a bit of grit, Girl vs. Cancer's there for you. But I think... What it is, is is that being able to expand outside of it. Like, I know you were originally loan for Maiden Chelsea, but I wouldn't say that now. Like, yeah, I feel like you've carved out such a lovely life for yourself and a profile. Do you know what I mean? I think of you as a broadcaster, a podcaster, and like strictly alumni. Oh, there, we there we go. I like, you have broken out that mold, but I think it's having people take a chance on you to see you for you. Yes. You're always going to be from the place that you came from. So you will always be from Maiden Chelsea. I'll always come from you, me and the big C. Yeah. But it's that And you journey. remember that and you love your yeah. roots, but yeah. then you become more than that, right? Yeah. You know, like, meeting you here and you walk in, you're so full of life, right? You really Jeez, are. Buddy. You gave me the biggest hug. And actually, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a big hugger. Mm. And I, sometimes now I go in and I'm like, oh, shit. I've, got, <laughs> yeah. I've really gone intimate with this yeah. stranger. Yeah. But you're like that as well. Mm. You're so... 
getting diagnosed with something like cancer, mm. and, I, and, and I really don't want, it's just, mm. I want to go so much bigger yeah, than no, all this. Yeah, no, you ask me anything you want, love. Yeah. It's for someone who I feel mm. it loves life so much, mm. oh my God. Yeah. That is. Yeah. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Your world fall, literally falls out your ass. You're like, is, you know those rides, you go on and they shoot you up and then you yeah. fall. That is the feeling. That's what, that's the only way I can describe it. But the thing is, is what I now take from it is the life I now live, I don't think I'd be living if it wasn't for that diagnosis. I was comfortably numb. I was partying way too much. Yeah. I was making shit decisions. I was failing at work because I just wasn't showing up in the right ways. I was Life was happening to me, not for me. I was waiting for my life to start. Oh, when this happens, I'll be happy. Or when this happens, I'll be successful. And then all of a sudden you get a cancer diagnosis and you go, what have I been doing? My, like I need to live, I need to make decisions now that I, for a life that I want to live now, like be present. I felt like I wasn't really in my life. It was just all different facets everywhere. So what's happened is it's kind of given me, um, it's given me the opportunity to live a life with more intention. Do you know what I mean? And more I gratitude. I think so many people relate to that. Mm. I, there are there's so many times when, I don't know, um, God, I, I think everyone, I mean, the majority of people listening to this right now mm. have had those moments. They've either found a lump and they thought, mm. oh my God, or they've seen a mole that doesn't mm. look good, or they had a sore throat and they think, you know, mm. I think health anxiety is a huge thing. Huge. It's a, and I know I have it massively. And also Google doctor is the worst thing in the world. So like, it's, it's you're dying. It's always. It's like, uh, I've got a twitch of my, you're dead. It's, Pay for your funeral. <laughs> Goodbye. It's, <laughs> The things that always pop up are if it if you Google something, it's always either MS or yeah. or it's typically AIDS or cancer. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things that come up every single the only time. Only possible things it could be. <laughs> That's the only thing That's it is. That's all it is. Well, there was this. I've told this before. There, there was one time when I had a dead leg. <laughs> it was the worst dead leg I've ever had. Honestly, it didn't <laughs> it didn't go all day. And I and I Googled it, and um, I Googled it, and uh, it said MS. And I thought, well, okay, I now need to sort of get my life in order because this is happening. And I was so upset about the whole thing. And so I got round a doctor to come to the house and the doctor said, it's a dead leg. And I said, it's not. And he said, he, oh, after the eighth time of me saying, you've got it wrong. He said, who's the fucking doctor? I was going to say, who's the medical <laughs> professional, Jamie Lang? Is this something you're not telling us that you've been doing in your part time? You're often getting a PhD. But it, it, it's this thing. One thing I will say to anybody who's listening is that, your health is your responsibility. Your body, your life is your responsibility. No, like you have to take charge of it and not be afraid of it. The issue we have as society, there's many issues we have as society. I've said that a lot in this podcast already, but we don't talk about death. We are scared of death. So we feel like illness equals death. And cancer is one of those words you hear and you think death, and that's not the case. And even if it does mean it's incurable, there is still a life to be lived. So when people find things with wrong with their body or you know they're checking and they find something or something's persistent that's changed and they know they need to go and get it checked they're scared too because they're scared it's going to be cancer Completely. but guess what if it is cancer and you don't go to the doctor guess what happens yeah. it spreads yeah. and then you're less likely to get cured which means that you're more likely to die young and we don't want that do you know what i mean and Completely. even if you can't cure it you want a certain quality of life for as long as possible so i just think like i understand the fear but my god isn't it better to be alive than scared like, just go to the bloody doctor. Does that happen a huge amount where people who 
um, they have either found a lump or they found mm. something wrong with them. They just don't go because yeah. they because of fear. Fear, but also there's lots of that. We could go into this all day. So there's loads of things around um, different cultures and belief systems around illness and disease and people, you know, being, us not being able to get like the self-checking messages through. You know, the good thing about testicular and breast cancer, if you can say a good thing, is that they tend to show signs. Mm. Whereas other things that are internal in the body tend to show signs when it's a bit too late. So while we, we have autonomy on checking our bodies, but there's certain like communities and marginalized communities that aren't having those conversations because it's seen as shameful. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a lot of the Southeast Asian community, you know, we see a lot of breast cancer campaigns and they, um, they're all women in bras or like, you know, you see women's breasts. And so a lot of the community there will just turn away and they won't talk about it. So my wonderful friend, Karina, she set up um, South Asian Supernovas and they've done a breast cancer campaign, which came out yesterday. Mm. And it's a modest breast cancer um, information video. And it's all women from the South Asian community, but they're completely covered up. And they're talking to their community about why it's important to check their breast health. But it's all these little nuances that you wouldn't think of. So it's not just as simple as saying, advocate for your health. We've got quite a long way to go in terms of breaking down barriers to diagnosis or barriers to getting people over the threshold to GPs. Even if you think about people in the LGBTQ communities and the trans community, there's a lot of distrust there with GPs and worried about going in and be like misgendered and all that kind of stuff. You know, these are all the things that prevent people. They yeah. may be like a smaller percentage of the population, but their lives still matter. So we need to make sure we're breaking down those barriers as well as the wider population too. I just, I, it's, it's so, God, it's just, um, it, it's kind of, it, it's incredibly upsetting, right? Because we talk about the statistics, like one in two people now mm -hmm. get diagnosed with cancer. Me and you. Oh. I've already done it. You're all right. Look, you lucky thing. <laughs> you lucky thing. <laughs> so, but it feels like we've come so far in medicine. You know, yeah. th there's cures for so many things now. And we've come, so, and I understand that we've probably come so far in terms of cancer research mm -hmm. and different things like that, right? But it's still one of these things that hits home. It's still one of the biggest killers. It's still something that we worry about from day to day and everyone mm -hmm. does. And it's still the biggest, why have we not, why is there not a progression? Is it because it's just a nasty disease that just moves and changes the whole time? Babe, there is progression. There is, like, honest to God, like, the, the treatments, like, 40 years ago, having my cancer, my survival rate would have been way lower, even though my prognosis was good and we called it a good time. You know, when you look at treatments like my lovely Deb, Deb stayed alive five years longer than she was meant to wow. because of advances in medicine and some of the advances in surgery she had and radiotherapy she had weren't around when she got diagnosed so in the space of two to three years they developed something that kept her alive for another two years so there is progressions the thing is with cancer is it's our own cells right it's our own immune system so the cells develop so fast in the body that our immune system doesn't realize it's a problem so it doesn't attack it so it's I think what we're getting really good at now and what is being explored more is um, genetics mm -hmm. and tumor DNA. So we can better understand, you know, what the risk factors are for people. We can better understand how a cancer might work in some bodies rather than others. And I think once we can get down to that level, then we can be a little bit more proactive. All right, sorry, son. Sorry, my son's <laughs> tapping me. Um, you're literally right here on my lap, needy Sweet boy. Raymond. I'm being very profound and serious. Do you mind? <laughs> Cheek. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So there is a lot of development. It's just unfortunately a disease that is clever. 
because it's yeah. made of our own cells. But we're getting there. It, and the thing is, what we're trying to change is seeing it more as a chronic illness rather than like this big scary disease. Like you wouldn't treat someone with cancer the same as someone with diabetes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or a heart condition. Completely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Why is that? Because it's, it's such a... We've created it into such a scary word. We have. And, I don't, and it is scary, though. It is scary, but it's also part of life. Like, people get sick. Yeah. Like, you get sick. Like, you get cancer, you survive it, or unfortunately, you don't survive it. But either way, there's a life that you live alongside it or beyond it. It's still life. Same as being diagnosed with anything, like, you know, like I said, like autoimmune diseases and stuff. Mm. It's the same as anything. We just, we literally shut down when we think of illness. So are you saying that, are you saying that if you, if you could have like a button in that you mm. could press and you could go, would you say that you would still have cancer? Yeah, but I would just have rather have found it earlier and not had chemo. Talk me through that. Because I feel like the chemo experience is so aggressive that or it just, I wouldn't want to go through that ever again. Do you know what I mean? I could deal with the surgery, I could deal with a bit of radiotherapy, but the chemo stuff was really rough. I'm so naive and I just, I don't know anything about, I, I'm, I'm, I got, I'm so <laughs> blessed that actually, yeah, people incredibly close mm. to me, I've, we've all had, mm. friends, you know, but, but my family, they, I, none of my family have been through. That's amazing It's though. amazing, it's but, amazing. But I do feel like, again, it's genetics, like my family is a cancer family, we've had a lot of cancer deaths in my family, we've had a lot wow. of people who have had cancer and survived it, not even breast cancer, all the cancers. Some families have got really bad hearts. Yeah. It's genetics. So, so when, you, and when you have chemo, what happens? So what does it do to one's body? What happens? So when you have chemotherapy, what it does is it kind of obliterates the bad cells, but in the same way, obliterates a lot of the good cells because what it's trying to do is nuke the chemo cells, but they're your own cells. So any fast dividing cell in your body, which a, a cancer is, mm -hmm. will 
be targeted. So that's why you lose your hair because that's a fast dividing cell. When you think of anything that grows at pace, skin, nails can be affected. But then also it's things like your intestines, that's why you can either like get sick or have a bad belly, your skin, because sometimes you have rashes. So it is, it's literally, God. I literally am a newborn baby at this point. My cells have regenerated so many times. Yeah, I'm like a newborn. It's amazing. Do you know what else is amazing? No one talks about <laughs> when you have chemo, you yeah. lose your hair. Yeah. You lose all your hair. <laughs> and you are like a dolphin for about six to eight months. And then the most annoying thing is you don't want to shag anyone. So no one gets to reap the benefit of it. I remember when I started to shave my legs again, I was like, not this. But then, but, but like you said, you're, you're almost in life going like, well, I'm glad something because it makes you realize how amazing life is and yeah. appreciate everything. Yeah. And mm -hmm. th that, but it, that feels like a, um, a big weight to take in order mm -hmm. to feel that excitement for life yeah I mean I do envy people that just go through life and like just get really old and die next to their partner holding hands I've never had any kind of surgery or like real like hardship and there are people like that in the world and I think it's amazing that just went my path mm. she's been through the wars she has and I don't know why I look so young you do look so young do you know what it is what I'm is childless and I'm single and I have a really cute dog what were you like growing up what was it like growing up in Fulham <laughs> Fulham, do you know what I love? Whenever I talk to my mates about this, because, I mean, it was it was never rough, but it was a bit rougher than it is now. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting because I feel really lucky that I got to grow up in a place where, like, we all hung around on the estates and, like, we'd get boozy and, like, you know, there'd be, like, a little bit of trouble. you get the, the little gangs coming over from Clapham to start with the boys from Fulham and all that jazz. But then you also lived, like, right near Chelsea Harbour and, like... We used to live opposite the Harbour Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so you kind of get this idea of being really grounded and like in London, but then also this idea of what is possible. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Completely. So it never felt like I was stuck or there was no like way of, be no way of bettering my life because I could see it. Were you a naughty kid? Do you know what? I wasn't until I got to college. When I was younger at school, I was like, you can imagine dead chatty and I got on with everybody. But... I was quite scared of being naughty. Mm. I remember when I was like in year nine, walking, like started like drinking in the estates and like in Parsons Green. Everyone, again, it's like, you see Parsons Green and like the Sloaney <laughs> yeah. Pony. And like, I used to be sat outside there like WKD. <laughs> like, oi, oi, oi. But yeah, I, and I, my first job was at Fulham Football Ground when I was 15. Yeah. I used to flip burgers to fund my weed habit, five pound an hour. <laughs> Loved it. But yeah, so I, I got to like 14 and like started like, you know, just experimenting, kissing boys and drinking and smoking mm. weed. And like, then I started like turning up to like school and just being a bit like high and then like not really getting on with my work. And I just remember my form tutor at the time, Mr. Letman, he was a unit of a man, big rugby player, geezer, and he was just the best, Ken Letman. And he, I remember him sitting with me at parents day in like year nine or 10. And like, he didn't dob me in, yeah. but he was really clever. And he turned around to me and he went, you just need to learn to be selfish. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, he said, look, look at your grades. He's like, if you don't put yourself first and you keep doing what everyone else is doing, he's like, you're just going to be working on a checkout for the rest of your life. And this is no shade to anyone who works on checkouts for the rest of their life. But like, I had grand plans. <laughs> I had a big plan. I had a big plan. And he, I was just looking at him and he was looking at me like just with this little smile, like, 
you're very lucky I've not told your mum and dad you're turning up to registration at nine in the morning with red eyes eating hula hoops out of your pocket. Not been able to form a sentence, mate. Um, but yeah, so I was good until How then. How much were you smoking? I don't even know now. Like if I actually, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Like I'm, I'm terrible now. Like I look at a spliff and I throw a whitey now. Could not even bear to smoke one. I, I... <laughs> Go on. Okay. Um, all right, I will. <laughs> I smoke loads. No, I know, no, no, no. no. Well, we've got I... new candy kittens, yeah, yeah, gummies no, coming out. I don't know. I, 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 remember, I, I remember the first time I ever smoked weed and... Um, I my friend gave it to me. We were so young, and I, I must be like I, I was. I must be like sixteen or seventeen. Didn't know what I was doing. And, I, and honestly, this is why I hated it. I I smoked it, and it, there were like these cool kids, much older kids, like around. And I ha I obviously had what they call it. I whited. Yeah. But I didn't want to tell anyone what was going on. So no. I had this intense paranoia and all I wanted to do was throw up. And I just had to sit in the chair and just try and hold it all in. Whatever. It was awful. I hated it. Once. It was awful. The whole experience was awful. I threw a whitey. <laughs> I wasn't very good at weed smoking, by the way, either. Like, I was not good at it. Like, you get like a few every few weeks, I just like whitey out. But I remember once <laughs> coming back from smoking weed. One of my mates gave me a puff of a spliff, and I came home and I just remember laying down. But all I wanted to do was take my socks. And I just lay there with a duvet with my feet out the end of the duvet, with no socks on, because my feet were so hot. And oh my god, I was living with mum and dad then. I don't know what they thought was going on with me, bless him. <laughs> oh my god. So then you what job did you have then in your if you had these big plans, what job did you have? When you well I see my career trajectory was really funny, but I, I always like vouch for it in a really big way because I feel like people feel like they need to know what they want to do from the jump and they don't. Mm. They don't. So like when I was in secondary school, I think all I knew is I wanted to have an office. Okay. Like when I was younger, I used to play office a lot. Like, I just wanted my own space and I wanted to boss people around. I was like, I want to be in charge. Yeah. But I did not want to be bossed about by anyone else, it turns uh -huh. out. And then when I was in college... You feel a bit like me. You feel like you're, you're unemployable, but you would do great. I'm, I'm totally unemployable. I yeah. can't be told really what to do, but, but also I think I'm quite useful in certain areas. Yeah, but you're good at what you're good at. Yeah. But the thing is, when you've got a creative brain and you're quite like that in the world... Like, you don't fit the mould of school. Like, things don't work that way. Like, I'm terrible at nine to five and I'd always turn up late because mm. I just can't function that way. Like, I get out of bed and I'm, like, doing this, this and this. I'm like, oh, my God, I've got five minutes to go. I've just watered all the plants. Like, that is how my brain works. But that's what makes me me. You and feel comfortable in chaos. I am comfortable in chaos. Yeah. So. And when you're, when you're, and when there's not chaos, it's almost boring. Yeah, you're like, mm, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm scared. It's going really well. Um, so you wanted an office I wanted an office and then I was at college and I did media studies it's so weird now when I think about what I do now I did media studies I did English language and I did sociology for A level mm. so it's like I love the human condition I love learning about how people interact with each other I'm obsessed with humans I really do like love people a yeah. lot and then English language I love to write I love to express myself and then media I do social media I, I work in broadcast so it's interesting but when I went to uni then I did media and I did um, philosophy. I do not know why. No idea. Um, and I, as soon as I went there, I was like, I don't want to do this. But I was working at Topshop mm. and I loved fashion and I loved working in retail. I worked in High Street Ken Topshop. Do you remember when that yeah, opened? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a fanfare. That was before even That was Oxford huge Street. when it opened. Yeah. yeah. So I worked there. I was like one of the first members of staff there, Sunday manager. And I loved, I really loved it. And I thought there must be something I can do in retail but beyond so I went 
and I did a one year course at London College of Fashion, which I didn't think I'd get into, but I did because mm. I had the, the commercial knowledge. So everyone else was sat there like talking about Balenciaga catwalk and I was like, well in Topshop, um, I think you'll find me do this. <laughs> but I was the only one that got in. I was, it was amazing. And like, yeah, so I did fashion business for a year and I loved it. And then I found like I'm really good at marketing, again, expressing myself and like dealing with people's interactions with brands. And then I... Well, what is it? Would it? Talk to me about that. What do you mean people's interactions with brands? Because this is really important for people listening as well. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a cute... How people interact with different brands yeah. is, is insane, the psychology behind well, it. Well, see, my dissertation was on, because this was when like... We didn't really, this was, the internet was really new. Like, yeah. I'm 38. Yeah. Like the internet was really new and like online shopping was really new. And we didn't have kind of an understanding of how brands translate online. So I did my whole dissertation on how luxury brands translate luxury online. Because you can't go in, you can't feel it. You can't do all those things. Wow. So it's like how you perceive the brand online. What they do to make it. And that's when the start of influencing kind of really happened. Because they started putting it on people who a little bit more attainable than your Brad Pitts or whatever, do you know yeah. what I mean? Who then yeah. were the only people seem to be wearing luxury. So for me, it's about how marketing a product or a brand, like we are, we market ourselves. Completely. And it's like, what stance we take? What are we try impression are we trying to give? What section of the population are we trying to target? Like, who are we getting on board? Yeah. So it's kind of that. But I love the creative side of that. So I actually like learning about what a brand does and like who they represent and what their goals are and what they're trying to achieve and then creating the branding around it. Like, I love that. Yeah. I mean, look at my charity. Yeah. It doesn't look like other charities, but I love that, like, just doing things differently. Yeah, you gotta go against the grain and not, yeah. not follow the others. Were you, were you earning money in your 20s? Did you, have, did you have money? I wasn't like, I mean, I was all right because I lived with mum and dad, but I wasn't like earning massive money. Because I, I, I still I, don't feel like I do, but you make it work. You make it work always. Yeah. No, because I think one of the big things that I think, and again, this is naive, is that when you are hit with something like cancer, mm. you fall ill mm. in whatever way, and you don't have a lot of money to back you up. Or oh, babe. You, how does, if you, if you are working to survive. Yeah. And you suddenly get hit with cancer or another disease or something, mm. or what do you do? struggle a lot of people lose their homes a lot of people go from the chemo chair to two or three jobs to put food on the table for their children because they're a single mom of three kids who doesn't have that kind of backup income you only get a lot of people on zero hours contracts don't get paid holiday don't get paid sick yeah when i i was in my new job i got six weeks full pay out of 18 months worth of treatment and statutory sick pay back then was just over 500 quid my rent was 900 or 800 with bills so how does that work out? My friends had to fundraise for me to keep my home. Oh my God. Babe, it's really common. Like it's really bad. Like it's, it's terrifying. There's nothing really in government that kind of, when someone gets cancer, they kind of put you in the same box as all disabilities, right? So you know, when people talk about disability culture and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's bullshit. Like people don't want to be on the dole. Mm. It's very few people that live their life like that, very few. Because actually living on that is nothing. It's nothing. And most people who actually claim and claim disability are doing it for a shorter period of time because they're only temporarily sick or unable to work. So there has to be something. I mean, I've got many drums to bang when it comes to cancer and getting support. And one of the big things for me is making it workable. No one should be going from the chemo chair into work. I did. Do you know what? That's so, I did not even think about that. 
Yeah. I, I I was thinking, and I'm sure maybe other people think, is that you go, okay, fine, someone, you fall sick. Mm. That's terrible. Oh, God, how awful. Don't even think about the repercussions, the butterfly effect. Oh, my God. That happens to family members, friends, mm-hmm. your work, your job. Yeah, your job. Your your career stops everything yeah i mean for some people they can work through it and that's fine but for a lot of people they can't and also like a lot of people as well they change so they'll come out of their cancer experience i'll be like i don't like what i'm doing and then they've got that fire in their belly that they want to do something else and then it's trying to find the money to go on courses or train or do whatever i just don't think we in this country we're not great at social mobility we don't help people get out of the situations they're in so what would you change if you could change something oh my god it's a big question we ask big questions on the show. I'm going to, well, I'll go straight to it then because I'm not shy. First of all, there would be no private healthcare system. Not one. Because Why? I Because I, do, I feel like people should be able, if they want to pay for a nicer hospital room and a nicer dinner, fine. But you should not be able to skip queues. You should not be able to get a better access to drugs. You should not get, a back, get access to surgeries and stuff that aren't on the NHS. And I feel like, because all that's doing is separating those. You Literally, private healthcare can save your life. And I've watched it happen. Mm. And that's not me against people using it. I've had to use it in the last two years because NHS isn't funded properly. Whereas I feel like if there was no private healthcare, everybody would be invested in the NHS working at the very best level it can. And that means we all get a standardised level of care that is properly there. And then if you want to spend a bit extra and go to a nicer hospital with a nicer menu for food when you come out of surgery and a nicer gown designed by bloody Stella McCartney, go for it, babes. But when it comes to actual fundamentals of medicine and access to medicine... Absolutely not. I don't agree. I feel like it should you know be what? equal. I, I, I feel like that's a perfectly designed argument because it's so true. They, why should there be a wealth gap when it comes to health? It shouldn't. You, you should not survive something because of wealth you're born into or because money that you earn. Yeah, you shouldn't. Everybody should have the same access and I feel the same way about education. I feel like everyone should have, the, there should be a standardised level of education. Yeah. Everyone should have the opportunity to live a life that they want to. But do you think state schools are worse than private schools? I, I mean, in, in, or not worse, that's wrong, but do you think, okay, I had this, I remember when I arrived, I said this before, I remember when I arrived, because I went to, shock, I went to private school. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Well, yeah, get out of here. And I remember when I, I went to Leeds University and I arrived there and mm. someone said to me, they went, um, I went to state school, you went to private school, what's the difference between you and I? Mm. And I went, I don't know. My dad sent me there. I, I didn't have yeah. a choice, I just did it. Yeah. And, and, as I've got older, there's, you know, question that I always get asked the whole time is, would you send your kid to a private school? And I sort of, I don't really get into mm. that. But w- why do you think there shouldn't be because what it does private is, and state? Because it creates a hierarchy. So it's that whole thing of... And you can't offend me, nepoti- by the way. So no, just, yeah. I know, I know. I, yeah. I, honestly, I feel well comfortable saying anything to you. Just say it. But yeah, um, it's, it's nepotism. It is nepotism. So it's like, if there was no private school and we were all in the same schools and people were very smart and studious and they worked really hard. They're building the same sets. Do you know what I mean? Boris might have been in the same set of school as Stormzy, pal. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's, it's giving that same weight to academia without it being something you're paid into. Like it's very difficult for people, especially in politics, to come from working class backgrounds and get to prime minister level because it's all in the house. It's all nepotism. And also as well, I believe like if you have, you know, if you're going to a state school and depending on where you are in the country, like listen, Hurlingham and Chelsea behind South Park when I was there was rough and it was just getting better. Like when I started there, we had blazers for a start. They used to roll in in sweatshirts, but like 
face. Yeah, like it was a big thing. We were like, oh my God, it's proper uniform. Um, but the thing is, if you work hard, like any kid, you can do well. The problem we have is kids that aren't getting that kind of attention at home and validation at home and showing that they can be something and, and they go into school and then it's just they're not giving the attention they deserve and they're they not seeing... They disappear in the crowd. They disappear into the system, basically. Yeah. So it's not there. And also, like, you know, people who go to state schools come from working-class backgrounds. Working-class backgrounds have a lot of different issues than maybe a pri- somebody who could afford to go to private school. So there might be problems at home in terms of affording rent, food on the table. Yeah. Maybe mum and dad aren't home as much because they're working loads of jobs. So there's loads of different things. There's also like, you'll find a lot more abuse and things like that that happen. And then they've got to go into a school system who needs to take care of them, almost rehabilitate them and, and parent them to make sure they believe that they can get better. Mm. It's big. It's yeah, big. Richard Osmond, I, he came on the podcast. He, uh, he basically was talking about the fact that what he does is when he meets someone who he knows has been to private school, mm. he judges them whether they would be in that position if they hadn't been to private school. Yeah. And he says, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. He kind of looks at them in that way and thinks, yeah. would you be in that position if you hadn't have gone to project? Yeah. And he had a real problem with it. Because yeah. when he first went to Cambridge, he used to meet all these people. He just said, everyone just seems to be posh. Yeah. And how are they all here? Like, yeah. is it nepotism? Is it What is it? Yeah. Um, I think it's access. And that's, it that was what it always been. For me, it's social mobility. It's been able to get yourself a better life. And in this country, we keep the poor poor. We blame people for being ill. Like, we just don't help people live better fuller lives there's a very big divide at the minute and it's really sad yeah the, I, I suppose what i sort of landed on in terms of the big difference between um state and private school is you typically have 10 people in a class yeah in private school what 10 people maybe eight at some time are you joking <laughs> yeah maybe eight yeah i think i had eight i, I one class i had like four Bruv. So, so, so yeah, so We've that's got what thirty. Well, exactly. That's the that's the problem, right? So you have eight kids versus thirty kids, and as you said, if that one kid is the one kid who's been quiet at the back, mm. always misbehaving, with well, they're a nuisance. We don't have time to. They don't have twenty time. other. We've got twenty nine other kids to look after. Yeah. But that could be being abused. He could be mm. uh, his parents may not be home. Learning difficulties. But you won't figure out. And I think in private school, you always. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of cuddled almost. Yeah, and don't get it. me started on the charity status. It's a charity, yeah. It's a charity, clearly. <laughs> Doing good in the world. Okay, everybody, that is the end of part one. Now, go and click over to part two, where you can listen to the rest of the episode with Lauren Martin.